Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. All right, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm the host, Blake Murphy 7, on Twitter also at Blake Murphy 7. Got my co host, Kent Hodder, here, and we're joined this week by uh, one of my favorite draft guys around. We got EJ Snyder. Uh, who's going to be here talking a little bit of the NFL draft, the off season? Feels like it's been a much crazier off season than it has been anything else. You can find him at the Draftsman FB. Uh, EJ, where do we even go with this? It feels like we say this every year, but it's been one of the craziest NFL off seasons ever, and that's all just leading up into what should be shaping up to be a pretty important NFL draft. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I'm sleep deprived, but that's just par for the course uh, at this time of year. And I'm doing well. I'm in the middle of it. Uh, there's a lot going on. It's coming fast. And it uh, this season definitely does feel a little bit different <laughs> in the fact that there's been a tremendous amount of movement prior to the draft that we haven't seen in previous years and especially at very important positions, quarterbacks shifting the sort of balance of power in the NFL. And um, there's also a lot that people I think maybe kind of aren't paying attention to in terms of draft pick stacking. There's a lot of teams that have a lot of picks early in the first round and have tons of ammunition. Um, and then there's teams not that much farther back, like Kansas City, that have a couple of picks at the back end of the first round and could really really swing things depending on how they want to go. If they want to trade down, they could be power brokers there. If they want to bundle those picks and trade up, they could do that as well. So I think we're going to see a really, really dynamic NFL draft. Yeah, it should be fun, at least for the most part. Um, you also can't see it as much, at least for the most part, for those who are listening in. But I've got some coffee sitting alongside me. This actually has poured Bailey's into it, specifically for the Kyler Murray offseason that has been for the Arizona Cardinals, from going from what seemed like it was going to be a simple offseason to one that has been very complex, to say the least. Um, not just from Murray and his camp, but from a Super Bowl Chris Mortensen tweet. There's There's been quite a lot going on, for the most part, at least, to see. Um, EJ, I had to say at least one of the questions at least for you was going to be, you know, what was Arizona's needs this year? But probably starts with, you know, the question I think it's good to ask everyone. Would you give Kyler Murray a new contract three years in? Or is this a spot where we're starting to watch the Cardinals, you know, maybe aren't quite sold on him? I don't know if it's going to go full Baker Mayfield in that regard, but <laughs> it's been such an incredible, like, 
topic of conversation where it feels like half the people are at least Cardinals fans saying that they just want Murray out, just make him gone. He's not really deserving of any contract. And then it seems there's this other half that's defending Kyler and would pay him yesterday. What's another perspective that you can give to all of this? I can see both sides of that argument. And I realize that the both sides thing is taking on a lot of weight uh, in the last couple of years. Kyler Murray hasn't earned a new contract yet, but NFL contracts are strange in that a lot of times you get paid for what you've done. Right. And other times you get paid for what you might do. And depending on what you believe about Kyler Murray is where it puts you in that camp. If you are talking about what he's done, quote unquote, what he's earned, you wouldn't pay him a new contract at the top level of an NFL quarterback. If you're talking about his potential to achieve in the next two or three years, you might. Right. And if you're really, really afraid of dipping back into the quarterback market, because it's a scary place to go. You can ask Seattle fans. Uh, you can ask Atlanta fans. There's a lot of fan bases that have had a lot of stability at the quarterback position this offseason who are in new and sort of uncharted waters of going, uh-oh, what do we do now? And it's uh, being a Bears fan, it's not a cool place to be. Um, luckily, we have Justin Fields, and, and we can focus on that uh, moving forward. But for years, we've had that quarterback uncertainty. So if if you're a fan that really doesn't like that and you think, hey, we've got a guy that's pretty good, yeah, you want to pay him. And if you think – hey, he's asking for a lot. He's asking for it early in terms of NFL contract precedent. And he hasn't done all that much. You're going to say, no, nah, I don't want to commit that much money to a guy like that. That's just weird. We're in a new NFL style of uh, player empowerment, a new era where players at least, and this has kind of been more of the where I think that when would say, yeah, I don't know if he's earned or deserved it. Well, the Carolina Panthers would give up three first-round picks yesterday and, like, extend pay your quarterback. Suddenly, you reach this point where we've seen Devontae Adams go and leave, get more guaranteed money from the Raiders. We've seen Tyreek Hill do the same. Suddenly, it doesn't really seem to even matter whether your quarterback has earned it or not. It's simply just looking at the market value. And that's been one of the complex areas because I think that you're right. And, you know, if the Cardinals had gotten one playoff win last year or hadn't lost six of seven down the stretch, you probably have a completely different perspective, at least for the most part. Instead, everyone's looking at and wondering, all right, we're three years in. We'd love to have run it back another year. And I was of the opinion that you either go ahead and extend everybody or you wait a year and extend nobody. And the Cardinals, of course, go and add a six-year deal for their head coach and their general manager, rewarding them for the turnaround what they have done. Now you've got kind of the idea, and I guess I would say narrative, that his agent has done is set it up to me. Like, yeah, you know, if you're going to extend those guys, you might as well extend your quarterback. But they decide for one reason or another they're not sold. I've said just trade it all away, get the picks, tank immediately if you know that he's not your guy. And I think it's that middle ground that Arizona is in that's going to be complicated. And it was simplified some when they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. You got to see the weapons, see them be able to have a winning season. That made it a little easier. It'll be interesting to see what goes on with the Bears, given that depth chart for Justin Fields. <laughs> you want to make sure that he gets that same type of chance, I think, for the most part. Yeah, hundred percent. The the Ryan Poles is uh, not to go too deep in the weeds, but Ryan Poles' mission for this offseason is a build an offensive line so he doesn't die, uh, so Justin Fields doesn't turn into a fine pink mist, and then surround him with weapons. Uh, 
And he's probably not going to be able to do all of that this offseason. But that that's the model with the young quarterback is that you either have to set the rest of the team and then get that player, bring him in and as the final piece or get him in, get him some protection, get him some weapons, probably shift the balance from defensive spending uh, and hope that they can just make a run in this really offensively centered modern NFL. And you're right. The middle ground is where it gets weird. Right. If you're all in and you're doing that cool or you're building the team and you're grabbing a veteran uh, kind of like Denver did, uh, that's the other model. But when you're in this weird middle ground of like, OK, are we going to we're going to keep these guys? Are we going to shut it off? Are we going to invest? Are we going to rebuild? And you've got one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. It gets a little strange. Absolutely. Uh, Kent, do you have any questions, at least more at the Cardinals offseason before we shift into a little bit more of a draft focus for while we have EJ on? Uh, nothing specific, but just uh, just on the quarterback piece. The other thing we've seen a lot over the last couple of years is good teams will sink their entire draft to get a quarterback. You, we've we've seen the the Rams have done to get Matthew Stafford across, but even even a team like Kansas City traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. The 49ers have traded up to get Trey Lance. They're all doing this now a year in advance, and they're getting there so that they can put a young quarterback into a role with a year in the system and a team already surrounding them. They're trying, yeah. they're trying to skip, they're trying to skip that little bit of a process there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is that idea that even if you have a rookie quarterback, even if you have a great rookie quarterback, and we could look at Justin Herbert, who had the greatest statistically rookie quarterback season in NFL history, Chargers still didn't win very much that year. Um, you have to take that lump and, and teams are trying to avoid that. But, without the we also see that without that passer with potential you're nowhere in the nfl and you're you're sort of treading water or you have one there is no there is no in between and if you don't have one you need to do everything you can to get one whether that's veteran whether that's young uh with a lot of potential because if if you're one of those teams kind of in limbo going along with a guy that's a you know, 15th to 25th ranked quarterback in the NFL who's been around for six or seven years, you're not winning anything. <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals happen to be that team that decided to get in advance for drafting their quarterback a year in advance by drafting their quarterback a year before they drafted their quarterback, of course, because <laughs> traded up for him and everything, too. And then they decided to have the Steve Kine, uh, was it Steve Kine put together the Sam Bradford, Steve Wilkes offseason and uh, Mike McCoy hired to be a run-the-football guy who'd never run the football before. And, uh, yeah, I think you can kind of take it from there for the most part, at least. It's been, a, it's been an interesting last four years for Cardinals fans. But uh, let's focus and talk a bit about the NFL draft because the Cardinals in this offseason so far, they've not made any big splashy moves. They've been focused essentially on retaining some of their own talent. Uh, much even to Kent Chagrin, uh, I felt like it would agree with him for the most part. Part of me likes keeping a guy like a Zach Ertz around. Part of me feels like the emphasized trying to get him as like their big slot receiver as a guy who, you know, is 30 plus and can't block. That's been kind of their biggest splash signing for the most part. Um, just let's talk about this draft in general. What are some of the draft prospects that really have stood out this year? Kind of some of the narrative of this draft. Um, what's been kind of what we've seen so far throughout the process? Yeah, as I've worked through the class, uh, you get a sense of where the draft is uh, maybe stronger, where it's weaker, um, strong and weak are interesting terms because a lot of times those are assigned to uh, players at the top tier. Draft media, unfortunately, tends to focus a lot on the top 50 
a little bit more on the top 100 barely on the top 150 and after that it's kind of the deep dark water if you're if you're going to spend a bunch of time that's cool but uh so when people talk about strong and weak they're really talking about strong and weak at the top of the draft um this draft is incredibly strong with depth throughout now there are positions that are stronger and weaker but you are going to be able to get guys that contribute uh in certain roles in the fifth and sixth and that's not always the case um position wise there's a lot of receiving talent in this draft i don't think it's equal to the prior two drafts but that's not to say that it's bad um there is depth all the way down the board and receiver you're going to be able to get guys in the fourth and fifth who are going to come in and and play what i would call substantive roles on their team um there is really good depth in the defensive line and edge class so sort of de and edge are incredibly deep you're going to be getting guys typically if you're going to get those guys and they contribute especially with their athletic profiles those guys go in the top two rounds uh you're gonna see some guys just because of the numbers of them in the third and fourth round who play situational pass rusher roles and come in and maybe get six or seven sacks um there's a lot of depth at corner um not quite the sort of high-end tipping point talent there's there's four or five guys up there uh but again there are guys that you're going to be able to get to be an outside corner who you're going to be able to get in the third round that's not not particularly typical um some of the places where it's weaker um i don't love the safety class there's a couple of stars and there's selected guys depending on your system that you can get down the board the quarterback class of course is where everybody focuses and they say you know it's a weak quarterback class mm, weaker than we've seen again no guaranteed shoehorn number one alpha kind of guys that are you know number one with a bullet uh that we've seen in past years but again i'd say three or four guys in this class that I think can develop into mid-level NFL starters if they land in the right situation and work hard and all that. Um, but it's it's short on top-end talent, so folks say mm, the quarterback class is, is really weak and you know weaker than we've seen in the past couple of years for sure. So I think all over there's value. Um, you need to know where to look uh depends on your needs and uh the cardinals <laughs> have a lot of needs their roster's not great um there's a couple positions i would say they're set at um you know we talked about the quarterback position dt like not not a huge need in their roster but they've got two solid dts um i after the last couple of drafts they certainly have some inside linebacker talent um safety i think is actually a position that's low-key strong for me um the offensive line tackle is pretty good <laughs> um center with rodney hudson i think is fine uh guards aren't great and after that it's like hmm <laughs> it's it's a pretty weak roster i would say it's a bottom third nfl roster and they have a lot of chances here to start to correct that yeah, definitely. I, when we're talking about with it being weak for the most part, Kent, I know you just kind of finished up like your top five quarterback as far as some of the rankings, some of the other stuff like that one. I don't know if you want to give some of your perspective, at least then, on what you're kind of seeing from the quarterbacks and EJ, if you kind of are seeing some of the same or if there's a little bit different. Because sure. that seems like there's a lot of what I've talked about is everyone's finally seemingly cemented on their number one guy. But some people's number one quarterback may be like next year's class. I don't know. Kent, you've got a little bit more insight, I think, into some of what you've seen kind of from the quarterback class. 
I, I think with, with the quarterback position at the moment in the NFL, unless you've got one of those top really four or five guys, then you're really in a in a big chunk of probably 10 or 15 guys in the middle that are there or thereabouts. And it's you, the success of the team is going to be determined by the players around them. So I don't want to be investing really heavily into a guy who I don't think can be one of those top four or five guys. And I look at you look, how Lewis, uh, sorry, how Willis, uh, Corral, uh, Ritter, probably top four for me. You've probably got two or three guys in that spot who are going to start a hundred games in the NFL, but they're not going to, they're not going to go to, to great heights in the team take they're not going to take a team anywhere so so my basically I, I sort of ran into this and said i would rather get one one or two year deals for a mitch trubisky or a marcus mariota and and trot them out for a couple of years and then look at attacking next year's draft if someone really pops out or or even the year after that and really try and grab one of those top three or four guys because otherwise if you continually invest those top 10 top 15 picks into guys who aren't really going to elevate your team, then then you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. And I, I sort of, it's a, a terminology used by Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks a lot in, in terms of being a truck or a trailer. And is mm-hmm. it, can it, can I hitch my team to my quarterback or do I have to hit, put, chuck my quarterback on the back of my team and let my team drive where I'm going? Um, so early in the draft, those top 10 picks, I'm looking at someone like Carolina this year, probably someone like Detroit even, you know, be be wary about whether that guy is going to be a truck and whether he can lead your team or whether he's just going to be a piece. Yeah, I don't disagree at all with any of that. And the only guy in this class I see with the true potential, and I use the word potential, to be a truck is Malik Willis. Like, he is a guy with physical skills that, can be one of those superheroes and that's really what we're talking about we're talking about the josh allens the patrick mahomes i mean that buffalo kansas city game sort of reopened the nfl's eyes onto what the quarterback position is and how they need to invest or or not invest how they need to build around that if they don't have that because every gm in the nfl is looking at that game going can my guy beat that guy and the answer for the vast majority of them is no um, you know, you got your Aaron Rodgers, your Tom Brady's, you know, Mahomes, Allen, maybe Herbert. And after that, like your guy's not that good. Right. If that guy's on, if we've like we've seen Justin Herbert be on and just hitting 50, 60 yard lasers down the field at will scoring whenever he wants to. Like if you don't have a guy that can do that. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. you. You build the team, you get a guy in the middle for a more reasonable salary, and you wait until you get a shot at one of those guys, and then you mortgage it for them. I think I would be very leery of doing that this year, even with Willis, because while that's his ceiling, his floor is, oh, geez. <laughs> He's got a long ways to go. He's got a ton of physical talent, but he he has a longer way to go. And my litmus test for that has been Trey Lance, who came out last year. And my question when people start talking about Willis is how did you feel about Trey Lance? And they're like, Oh, it was really good, but he had a long way to go. And I'm like, well, that's Willis, except he can be just that good, but he has a longer way to go. So 
You know, do you do you trust your staff? Do you trust your quarterback developer? Do you trust your quarterback coach? Do you trust your weapons? Right. And do you need him to play right away? Right. Plays like Detroit, you mentioned that he could go and Jared Goff's not great, but Jared Goff is starting this this year and they don't need Malik Willis on the field. That could be okay. Do they really trust their quarterback developer? Well, we'll see, because if you're that guy, it's a huge gamble to take a guy like Willis high. But he does have that ceiling. Matt Corral is right on the edge for me. I think with the right developer, again, not having to play in his first year, he could be on the edge of that tier. I don't think he's solidly in it, but he's going to be, you know, I've compared him to like good Derek Carr if he gets in the right spot. And that's pretty good. That's like a top 12 NFL quarterback. Is it in that tier of I can take over a game by myself? Nah, it's not. So the quarterback class this year is definitely sort of buyer beware, but also comes with a caveat. Those guys are going to go high. They always go high. Should they go high? They're no. <laughs> Are they going to? A hundred percent. We're going to see the Kenny Pickett's. We're going to see the Sam Howells go in the first round. You know, should they? Eh, from a value standpoint this year, maybe not. Are they going to? They always do. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see at least as far as how that goes down with Kenny Pickett because you look at what he's done for the multiple years and everything. It's almost like he's also older on the older side, had an explosive final season. Mm -hmm. He's just somewhere on that Blake Bortles to Mitchell Trubisky type of area because of some of the small hands. But then you also see, you know, like some of these crazy plays that he's able to make for the most part. And Willis is, I think, the way that I like that someone had described him the most is it's kind of like you're talking about Jalen Hurts, but with a much stronger arm as far as for where he's at. But with still some of that rawness that, like, I want to compare him to the likes of Justin Fields, but he just doesn't have that same level of talent or experience that Fields was able to show, I think, for the most part. So there's there's going to be a lot. Cardinals fans, I think, are hoping that another team will take a quarterback. I would love to see, you know, like a, a Daniel Jones at six repeated with Kenny Pickett going somewhere in the top ten. It would mean more talent would fall to the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about how the Cardinals have a lot of needs. I think that there's definitely areas where you can look at their roster right now and say that they need a couple of stars added. They've had aging players, Christian Kirk and Chandler Jones. Well, I should say aging. Uh, Christian Kirk being more of a you know $21 million a year type of wide receiver now, at least, thanks to Trent Baalke. Um, but they've got a lot of their talent has kind of aged out over the years. Patrick Peterson left. They ended up seeing, of course, Clay's Campbell walk a couple of years ago. They just have not been able to necessarily draft star players. They've had to trade for them. It does not seem like so far that's been in the cards for Steve Keim and the Arizona team this year. What were some of the biggest needs that you can see? Because I think at least they've got, right now with one year left of J.J. Watt, you're probably going to need someone who can help stop the run. You're probably going to need a number one cornerback at some point. You're going to need a number two receiver. They've got issues with the edge rush and, you know, I could say that their interior offensive line as well. Kent and I have been very adamant that with a quarterback like Kyler Murray, he has the ability to kind of not just step up or likes being in the pocket. You don't need to focus on having these elite tackles necessarily like you would for a slower quarterback. You just need to have a pocket so that he's able to, you know, see over and have enough of a window being a shorter quarterback or be able to have some of these different lanes that he can take off into. The Cardinals at least have enough of these needs that there's going to be a talent that probably fits them somewhere in the first round. What were some of the needs that you would look at if you were Arizona as far as addressing? And this, again, is going off of an offseason, which is probably not finished yet. They'll probably plug a few holes, but... Like you said, they just need more star talent for the most part to be able to stand up, especially in an NFC West that 
has the Rams and is about to see um, a rookie quarterback in Trey Lance on a pretty talented Niners team. Yeah, this is where the draft gets fascinating for me because it is very much about the puzzle piece that the draft fits for roster building and how Kime and the Arizona organization see their roster. And we'll go through a couple of examples that will I'll talk about where they might fit depending on what they think they have in the building. We'll start with outside cornerback, right? They may or may not think they need an outside cornerback. They have three guys on the roster now with Gladney who could play outside corner. Now, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to pin my season to Jeff Gladney for obvious reasons, but if they believe that, you know, Marco Wilson sticks outside, they're not going to be looking for a outside cornerback high. They might be looking for a slot corner, but positionally valued, that's probably more of a second round thing. So you're going to move to a place like defensive end or edge. And with Watt hanging on, you know, last couple of seasons in his career coming up, there's not a lot behind that. And this draft is very strong with players like that. So you start to look at where your needs and the value, the, the availability in the draft align. And for the Cardinals, that's a natural one, is there's going to be guys at their pick who are very, very talented and fit that need and can come in and learn behind Watt for a season and be that guy, be star power on the defensive line. And look, they need it. You know, Calais Campbell's not the only guy that's left the Cardinals. You know, Chandler Jones is gone. Watt's going to be gone. Um, you need there's a real vacuum there. And this draft is full of those guys. So that's a that's a sort of obvious fit. If they think they're good at outside corner, they won't be looking. If they if they don't, if they think Wilson slides inside and again, they're not counting on gladly, then they probably will be looking for a top corner in the upper rounds. And there are guys again at their pick who are going to fit. Um, I look at a guy like Kair Elam, who's kind of underrated out of Florida, and he would be a very nice counterpoint to the other side of the cornerback roster. Um, so those are kind of some of the obvious ones right up top. And then the other one that I think, well, probably people in Arizona are talking about it is wide receiver. There's going to be a massive run on wide receivers in the first round. Um, there's going to be as many, I think, um, DJ put out his rankings. Daniel Jeremiah put out his rankings. I think he said there were eight wide receivers in the top 50. He just put his updated top 50. And that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it reflects where the NFL is, which is you need multiple weapons that can do damage uh, from multiple spots. You can't have one guy or, or maybe two guys anymore. You need two, two and a half guys that can do damage on any play um, because of the propensity of 11 personnel and everything else. Like it, that's, just the way it is so value becomes a thing because they're going to go off the board really quickly and you start looking at value decisions like hey do i want wide receiver five or de2 you know or wide receiver six or edge three right what's what's the value there and and can i get one of those players later on down is there enough depth and that's where the draft gets fascinating for me is kind of moving those chess pieces around on the board and saying well this is our grade this is our need this is where the draft is strong can we get that can we fill that need later or look is there a huge drop off in in what we call bubbles or tiers right if we go past this guy does the talent drop precipitously and now we're waiting two rounds to maybe look at a guy that's a developmental player or fill in a backup um do we need to get a guy here and then we can you know push that other need that's competing with it down around 
Yeah, that, that definitely agree with all of that. Kent, feel free to chime in with any questions as they um, they do come up. But I was wanted to talk about when we're saying at pick 23, you're mentioning kind of that process. I think a lot of Cardinals fans right now are looking at buying into maybe one position or another. There's some who just say, mm-hmm. hey, get this player who's on the offensive side, help Kyler Murray. There's others who look at the likes of Marcus Golden and uh, a restructured contract for Devon Kennard on the other side. So you got to have a pass rusher. Come on, like this is the, you got to take whoever the best pass rusher is. I kind of think that, like you said, there's a lesson to kind of playing the draft of being able to assess your team needs while also having the best talent there. We've seen how in the past you mentioned the name Tommy Knight in Arizona, and that's the third cornerback taken in the year. Arizona needs a cornerback. Same thing, I think, for Colts when they drafted, you know, a wide receiver four with their first round pick. Uh, It's just been something that I think when you end up pushing yourself into having this extreme type of need, that's where a lot of mistakes can start. What do you think as far as for some of the prospects at pick 23? um, And obviously, I think we're going to rule out linebacker. Um, I think this has been one of the things we've seen from the last two years. Um, that the Cardinals have invested heavily into their linebacker, invested heavily into their defense. Now we're going to actually see if this type of build, which I think we've mentioned how this has been some of Steve kind of chasing a bit of the Darrell Washington and Carlos Dansby defense that we saw from 2013 to 2014 that had a uh, big impact, but also had you know the likes of Darnell Dockett and Clays Campbell up front be able to create holes for some of that. So there's a weird mix, I think, of trying to figure out the team identity. There's been a weird question mark. I kind of have an article on this, I think, coming up on how I think the Cardinals picked those linebackers for more win-now moves because they had a need and they had an older roster. This may be a time where the Cardinals may try to be competitive, but maybe there's a little bit of admission that they're not going to be the same competitive moving forward. So with all that in mind, what would be some of those fits, at least, that you'd look for for the team at pick number 23? Yeah, I love what you said about um, playing the board. I The way I approach the draft and always have is is game theory, basically. You, you have to play the hand that you're dealt, and it is going to break in ways that we don't expect. That is the only thing that we can say about the draft. Every time mock drafts come out, and, and these days hundreds of them come out and get published, you always see the people say, that'll never happen. That guy will never go in the first round. He'll never be there. Um, you know, whatever it is. And then sure enough on draft night, we get to pick, you know, 15. Everybody's like, Oh my God, how did that happen? Um, it happens every year. And that means for every one of those choices, one of those guys that was an absolute lock for the last three months gets pushed down a slot. And, you know, enough of those before pick 23, And now you're looking at some guys who at least a couple probably who you're saying, oh, we never thought this guy would be there. Does that opportunity is the opportunity cost of going after that? Does that present enough of a value that you go? Yep. Look, we were we really thought we were going to lean towards whatever it is, the defense, the defensive end, offense, wide receiver. Right. But here's this guy that we have, uh, you know, eight year starting grade on. And everybody thought he was going to be gone. Everybody's calling around. Why is he still here? What do you know that we don't know? And and if their scouts are solid on him and their medical's good, they probably pull the trigger. So the Cardinals are not one of those teams that have pigeon <laughs> for good or for bad, <laughs> have not pigeonholed themselves with a need. They have multiple needs here. And they, you see teams get away from, 
that by picking up players in free agency beforehand, right? They pick up a player so that they don't need to need to go in a place because if they need to go in a place, other teams know that as well and will move up to grab the player in front of them. If everybody knows that Arizona just all they need is wide receiver, there will be teams that jump them for the wide receivers that are. Arizona has the luxury, if you want to look at it that way, it's a sort of last half full thing of having multiple needs. And they don't have to get pinned into offense or defense. They could say, we're going to take the best player available at defensive end, wide receiver, or if they need outside corner at 23. And at 23, there's going to be one of those players available that fits need, fits their board, uh, fits value, and they can just take him. They don't have to go, well, if these guys are going by 15, we got to start looking at moving up, right? They're, they're not in that spot. So I think there are players that are going to present good value at some of the spots we've talked about at 23, and they can sit back and let the board come to them. And the teams that are most successful in the draft do that. Yeah, I think that's that's a, definitely a good point. It's funny you mention that, though, because I think back to even just last year's draft. The Cardinals wanted one of the top ten players in last year's draft, and they saw five quarterbacks get selected, and all ten of those guys went right before they picked, of course, at pick 16, despite those five quarterbacks there. They end up with, of course, linebacker and Zayvon Collins. It was the guy that they were pretty sure they were going to possibly take um, because all other guys were just expected to be gone earlier enough and that's just the way that the draft exactly fell it was a very talented draft um there's similarities that have been popping up like that in the 2015 draft they see dj humphreys fall but it's also due to some of the other players they were looking at went a few picks earlier there in the 20s and in 2014 all of the talent essentially was gone by 20 they were able to trade back pick up another third round pick i kind of lean with you that i think that there's going to be a player who's there in arizona but there are some scenarios you know where the Cardinals end up having almost a worst case type of deal that happens and suddenly you're like, all right, you got enough of these interior linemen, all of these, you know, solid Georgia interior defensive tackles that can help with the run stopping, get some pressure, the quarterback are gone. You're then going to be kind of looking at one of those areas of not wanting to reach. And I'm going to be very curious, I think, to see at least for what will be there. When it comes to some of these specific positions, you know, you mentioned wide receiver being a big one. I've seen a lot of debate about which receivers fit and which ones fall, and I like the fact that Arizona is picking at 55 because I think that the drop-off, like you said, of eight in the top 50 is kind of right around that spot. But theoretically, if they end up going into this season, we saw last year, when DeAndre Hopkins went down, A.J. Green was not a number one receiver. Christian Kirk was efficient in his role but couldn't really carry that load. Rondell Moore was banged up. He may take a step forward this year, but you don't want to necessarily count on him as a wide receiver, too. You'd love to be able to bring in a veteran to kind of hand off the torch and be able to see a highly drafted pick somewhere around. Um, all this could have been addressed if they looked at C.D. Lamb, of course, but that's that's beyond the point, at least for right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, draft hindsight. So delicious. <laughs> yeah, either that or Tristan Wirfs is one of those places. Now you're looking at the team like they figured out the offensive tackle side, but, you know, it's one of those things of its opportunity cost. You get one of these positions filled now or you're having to draft it later unless you can happen to kind of find a little surprise hit. With the receivers specifically, at least, we can focus on maybe some of that. I know Kent and I both liked some of the offensive linemen. It's hard for me to imagine that a Zion Johnson, after his impressive combine, is going to be there. Perhaps there's a chance if you know one or two of the teams picking ahead of the Cardinals decide to 
go after a quarterback, the Steelers in particular, uh, I think would be one of those teams. But when it comes to the receivers, are there receivers that don't necessarily fit Arizona, or is this kind of a try to bend your team around? Because the Cardinals have been so unique as far as when it comes to the air raid, not moving receivers around as much, having outside and inside guys, and then also having a power run scheme with these 12 personnel tight ends that hasn't still featured a lot of Kyler Murray under center. It's just a unique scheme in the NFL, and it's not one that I think fits every single wide receiver, but we've been able to see them be at least adaptable enough to get the most out of some of those guys, such as shell of AJ green last season and others. Yeah. If, if you're solid with Hopkins coming back and you believe he's going to be healthy. And again, you're not looking to replace him because you think he's got enough good seasons left. Um, you don't need that, uh, sort of rarest of birds, which is the alpha wide receiver one, a, the, the receiver that you can always go to, what is DeAndre Hopkins with the Cardinals outside? Those guys are rare, and they're going to go quickly. Um, they have size, they have speed, they have routes, they have hands. When when a player has all those things, they don't last. Um, so they might not even last to 23. Uh, they're certainly not going to last to 55 without some projection. Now, there are a couple players like that, but really you can look at that. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm looking at that number two outside wide receiver, right? Because they have smaller guys, faster guys inside, a couple of them, I think. And those guys can really play this lot. So when you go four wides and like you said, you let Kyler Murray cook, uh, let him run around and find open receivers. They have little fast guys on the inside at the slot that can get open. Um, I really think they need a solid number two. Um, and there are some guys that I think provide that in this draft. Uh, you know, my favorite at that role would be Chris Olave. But, uh, you know, is he going to be there at 23? I doubt it. He's highly talented, pretty well coveted. I, I believe he'll be off the board. He might be there. If he is, that's a that's a slam dunk. That guy's a, a custom-made number two pro wide receiver right now. Plug him in, good to go. Um, if he's not there, um, a guy like John Mechie is really interesting. And John Mechie might be available at 55 again depending on the wide receiver run he might not but he's probably not a guy you take at 23 so again you'd pivot to one of those other positions and say hey we're going to take a run at mechie with our second round pick or we're going to take a run at a guy like sky Moore, who would be a very nice number two um the one guy that's a wild card and I think he's going to go in the first round just because of height, weight, speed is Christian Waston from North Dakota State. And people say, oh, he's too raw. Well, <laughs> we've seen raw physical wide receivers uh, have early success in the NFL more and more quickly over the last two and three years. And I don't think the league is going to be able to lay off Christian Watson that long. In fact, I don't really think they should because I don't think he's as raw as people think. He did play in an offense that did not off. Uh, emphasize the pass. Um, but when you look at what he did with the targets he had, he is he is everything. He has that chance to be an alpha wide receiver. So I don't think he slips all the way down. Will he be there at 23? Yeah. Is that a <laughs> uh, is that a real confidence pick? That's a real confidence pick. You are sure of your wide receivers coach and you are like, yep. And look, if he works out his his ceiling is the moon. Right. This is a guy that's 6'4, 208, runs a legit 4'3, um, you know, can elevate, is physical, does block because he played at North Dakota State. Like, 
if you believe you can develop the the holes in his game, um, he has every every chance to be a number one. But it, again, it comes down to how the team see him. So if I'm the Cardinals, I'm looking for that number two wide receiver and, you know, guys like Olave, guys like Sky Moore, Mechie, um, you know, depends on what you think about Jahan Dotson. I would probably lay off him. I wouldn't pick him in the first round for sure. But if he's there down the board and you like him, okay. Maybe a David Bell. He's not my favorite. Um, Jalen Tolbert's another guy. Big, strong, fast, wide receiver played at South Alabama. Might be there at that second round pick. But again, some team might, he might be the apple of their eye and he might go at 40 because, uh, you know, they're looking for that big, fast guy and, and the rest of them are gone. So it's a fascinating class that way. They probably have a good chance at their first pick or second pick. Um, to pick up that number two wide receiver to complement the other wide receivers that they have. And it's, it's definitely something to be said there for, there's probably one or two guys that you're really hoping fall to 23. <laughs> and if they don't, well, then you go, we've got plenty of options that we can pick through at 55. Um, name escapes me. Uh, George, George Pickens is another one that again, depending on how the medicals show up and depending on how people treat those injuries as a guy that you can have a look at it at 55. Uh, he won't probably, be there. Probably, probably not going to get there. If, if the, injuries, no, not unless uh, the injuries are stacking up. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost yeah, time for him. Le- I mean, some teams are going to red flag him for the medicals. There are, I'll tell you right now, I, I don't bet on sports <laughs> and I would put folding money that George Pickens is off the board by 55, regardless of the medicals because he ran and was back on the field. Was he himself? no, is he a year removed? He is just now, like right at this point, he's a year removed from his injury. And that's when explosion tends to return. And if you look at the rest of his film production size in a, you know, the top conference in the country, somebody's going to roll the dice on Pickens before 55. Will he be there at 23? Now that's a more interesting conversation. He could be off the board uh, by 23. If he's there at 23, what do you do? Like that totally depends on, Mostly just your medical assessment, because I don't think scouts have any problem with him uh, that high based on everything else he's done. Yeah, Pickens is definitely a player who I think is the, you know, you say you fall in love with the guy at least. You don't have the Ohio State receivers there. Um, I don't feel like Traylon Burks is a complete fit for the Cardinals, more just due to the fact that I feel like you have a similar style player, at least as far as collegiate usage and stuff. Like there's obviously projection that goes in as to where Rondell Moore was. It's just, you know, Burks is a lot bigger, but wasn't quite <laughs> the athlete. At least I think people were Rondale Moore for. and Traylon Burks. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like Rondale, when you look at the testing, you're like, oh, this is just like, you know, this is like if Julio was like a, a little hobbit running around for the most part, as far as athleticism, but n- never got anything downfield. We'll see if Arizona's able to use some of that or not. But with Burks, a lot of it was that same type of usage that we saw of behind the line, very short targets. We saw some insane ability to go and get it. Watson is the one who I think is going to be the most hotly debated of a lot of these receiver prospects because I think you know what you've got in the Ohio State guys for the most part. It's just been pretty clean for the most part as far as prospects go drake london is a guy who unless he ends up running super slow i think most people are going to see him like you just said that one receiver that alpha that could be even as early as eight to atlanta potentially i think so then it comes down to where do you feel about with the likes of watson because 
this is where it gets into the weird draft stuff. You've got comparisons, I think, to where you could see him being a Devontae Adams or like a Des Bryant, that type of alpha X receiver. You could also easily see him being like a Dante Moncrief, a Justin Hunter, or a Stephen Hill, these guys who were not in either pass-heavy offenses, had all the athleticism, but just never clicked or connected. Uh, that's one of the spots that I know there's some Cardinals fans, at least, who they don't feel like Watson will be there at 23. Because of how he was in that run-heavy offense, there's, I think, at least a fit in Arizona that I could see specifically. Maybe not quite the same as far as role for you know how they've used their wide receivers, but there's going to be quite a bit, I think, of debate regardless, unless, like you said, one of those type of players falls to pick number 23. And I think I'll include some of these Georgia-type players for the most part as well on that defensive side. These are kind of the people who like are the studs, like these are the top 20 talents in maybe nearly any draft. You're hoping one of those players goes there. It's just a lot harder, like you said, as far as when the draft comes to be able to know since a lot of times either those guys get snapped up or you have to kind of luck out on occasion to get one of those type of impact guys that you feel like is a slam dunk. And even some of those slam dunk guys, for one reason or other, just don't seem to turn out that way it did. We know that as a Cardinals uh, fans who looked at Jonathan Cooper <laughs> that same type of way uh, all those years ago when he was selected by the Cardinals as well. Yeah, there's there's guys that, uh, again, depending on how that top 10, top 15 shakes out, and we talked about it earlier with the quarterbacks, like, hey, look, if five quarterbacks go, should five quarterbacks go? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> Will they? They might. Right. It's possible. And if they do, then some guys that are around the edge, guys that are in that sort of 15 to 18 to 20 range, maybe they drop to 23 because, again, a couple of other weird picks and, you know, a huge run on wide receivers or, uh, you know, too many quarterbacks uh, in the first 15. And you get a guy like George Karlaftis who's staring you at the face at 23. Right. You, you take George Karlaftis and set him behind J.J. Watt for a year. Yes, please. Like that's that's a really good scenario. Uh, Cardinals fans should be hoping for something like that to happen. Um, you know, again, there's there's other guys that opportunity costs. We talk about it all the time that are going to be there at 55 or should be there at 55. Like um, Kingsley Anikbare from South Carolina. Um, Boy Mafe is probably going to go top round. You know, he'd probably still be on the board for the first pick. Uh, do you want to pick him that high? Mm, there's a value might not. But again, if you believe he's got unlimited athleticism at his size, he's got great size too. Another guy that could sort of plug in on the defensive line, um, learn how to be a pro behind J.J. Watt, and then, you know, next year just tear the doors off things. So uh, those are all choices. But then again, you're going to be looking for that outside corner. These are the positions that go high, right? Uh, top end wide receiver, outside corner, edge rusher. These are the positions that if you want them, you really got to go after them high typically. Um, so, again, the Cardinals can just kind of balance what's left in the pool with those three positions and pick the one that they have the highest grade on. Right, for sure, at least for all of that. That sounds like that'll be a big strategy. Kent, uh, I don't have any other questions, at least, unless you got something for the most part. At least it's been uh, appreciating having you on, at least to go over some of this crazy draft stuff. EJ, I, I would hope that uh, George Karloftis could follow and you take a look at that. That would be kind of a, almost maybe too perfect scenario for a thing like the Cardinals to be able to bring in a guy who's got a lot of J.J. Watt-like qualities um, without being essentially the same prospect that Watt was. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where the depth of this draft goes down to as far as Arizona's approach. You know, 
strayed away from picking the lines the last couple of years, grad linebackers. Now you're having to figure out, like, where do you go kind of with this identity of offensive, defensive, and how much more they're going to kind of continue to build around Kyler Murray as they uh, seem to kind of be reaching, as we said, their kind of peak last year, and now the puzzle pieces have been scattered and someone's going to have to put them back together. So any other last questions, uh, Kent, before we take off? Nothing from me. I'm just uh, just hoping we don't find us going for our fifth inside linebacker in 10 years. <laughs> the Kobe Dean at 23, baby. Let's go. Oh, man, that would be a that would be a room, you know, imbalanced. But that would be a room. <laughs> Gosh, at least for all that. Yeah, no, we'll see. At least there's plenty of stuff there. I guess we'll find out a little bit more based on what the Cardinals do. If there's changes that are there. Uh, EJ, thanks so much for joining us, at least today on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's always a blast. Take care. Take care. All right, Kent, we can go ahead and transition, at least just for the last, you know, maybe 15 minutes or so, just to kind of wrap up with some of the comments, thoughts, and touch facts about the Cardinals. There's been, uh, I think we even can talk about it now. We were going to probably do a show last week if the Cardinals had signed two or three big names. You got pretty busy at the time for the most part. I looked at the list of names they had signed. You got a starting one-year linebacker. You've got a cornerback Jeff Gladney who signed for two years I think that's probably your Byron Murphy leaves to get paid elsewhere type of hedging your bet for the most part and you have ultimately really just re-signed you know some of your guys that you already had on the team to these type of small deals but the biggest one that stands out for the most part Kent is who they have not signed which of course would be some of these big names out there Makes you feel like that they're focusing on the draft, at least, especially with some of these players. And as far as Cardinals fans go, I think there's probably going to be some nervousness about the lack of aggression. Makes you wonder if the Cardinals maybe are seeing some of the things we've seen about how they're just not quite there as far as being able to maybe contend overall or flip it the other way around. They may look at this NFC and be like, yeah, we're a playoff team next year. Why not? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting watch in the next probably couple of weeks leading up to the draft and then more so after the draft where I think they're going to want to try and secure a couple of the positions where, where we're sort of going, you know, I look at we've got no outside corners and no edge rush. How are you going to succeed in today's NFL with no edge rush and no outside corners? It's It's the sort of the sort of hell that's going to see you giving up 40 points a game if teams decide they want to pick on it. Um, but you factor in Jeff Gladney, there's, there's talent there. He went in the first round. Marco Wilson, there's talent there. He tested athletically off the charts. He's He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. If he's got the football brain, he's going to be able to work on himself. The biggest thing he needed to work on was his ability to play the ball in the air. If he can develop that, then possibly you've got a relatively talented outside corner combination there. The range of where they could play is just so great. And I think we talked about Robert Orford coming through the building. If if he signs on, on the dotted line for another year, I think what you've got in Arizona is you've got a four-person corner room that you're probably going to be okay trotting out next season you're not going to be happy with it, but you're not going to be you're not going to be angry with it. It's it's the sort of unit that you could put out there and be like, okay, I I can live with that. 
and I then don't need to force something later in free agency. I don't need to force something in the draft. I don't need to force a trade. I think it's why the team is probably interested in AJ Green again because it's it's your baseline guy. It is your replacement your replacement level player that you can plug into that role and go. I now do not need to force that. And we can currently see we've got the replacement level players at corner. You've got the replacement level players on the interior of the offensive line. You've got your replacement level players at edge. D- despite probably Devon Kennard really being more on the on the run defending solid side of that. He has flashed in the past as a pass rusher. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities to rush the passer over the last couple of years in Arizona. But you've got those sort of, between him and Marcus Golden and Dennis Gardek, you sort of have replacement level players there. I, th- I think the one spot that you don't quite have that replacement level player, which I think they'll want to, want to secure up before the draft, whomever that might be coming in to be Okay, this is the guy we're going to plug in as our number two wide receiver, be it AJ Green, be it Julio Jones, be it not Antoine Wesley. I don't think they trust him <laughs> to be that guy right now. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's about getting to a point where you have multiple different units at replacement level average NFL player and then attacking the draft in a way that we can sit there and watch the board unfold and go... All right, between edge, outside corner, number two receiver, interior offensive line, the best guy available right now is this. And I think I'd look at Daniel Jeremiah's latest mock draft. He has five receivers going between, I think, 21 and 30. So that's that's going to be the hotbed of receivers sitting there. Obviously, Drake London's off the board very early. Garrett Wilson's off the board very early. If you can get a Chris Olave, amazing. Traylon Burks goes off in that in that area to Arizona as well. It's it's something that that area of of wide receivers and the draft seems to fit quite well. But I think you probably get, you're probably also going to see. We talked about a lot of names between probably twenty and forty five. I wouldn't be surprised in in that twenty five. 25 picks, you might see nine or 10 receivers go off the board because you're going to have that many guys just showing up with the ability to play. Um, and Christian Watson is a guy that I quite like. I put him, I don't know where, he's somewhere on the Stephen Hill to Demarius Thomas spectrum. It's that I played in a run-heavy offense. I've got all sorts of tools, but which end am I going to end up at? Um, I don't think he's Demarius Thomas, but you, you're not you're not sure where he goes from there. But I'm 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 excited with with where it can go. Um, it's been frustrating to see the lack of the lack of action, and it, it is ve- it is very much has. I think, as you mentioned earlier, we're in the NFC. We can see ourselves being a playoff team in the NFC. Let's run it back. All we need to do is replace a Chandler Jones, who, while being very good last season, tended to do his production in concentrated spurts of time. He would have an incredibly effective or productive game here or there. You know, he would play the game like he did against Tennessee, and then he would take two or three weeks off. 
or not take two or three weeks off, but he just wouldn't be as good. I look at, we played the Rams three times and, and Chandler Jones didn't record a pressure. So, yeah. That's 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 where we're at with this roster. It's it's very hey, much that right offensive now. tackle's retired now, at least, right? <laughs> exactly. And exactly. Chandler Jones is now, of course, a member of the Las Vegas Raiders. So it's been a lot that's there. I I think that and this is where I think that you're right on it. If whatever the Cardinals' identity is, what we've seen Steve Kime do in the past is try to fill through spackle or whatever case any of the different holes that they find on the roster to try to have some of that maximum flexibility heading into the draft. It just doesn't always turn out the way that they expect in some cases. Um, A good example I can think of would be you saw three quarterbacks go before the Isaiah Simmons and Derek Brown pick. They were going to take whichever of those two defensive players were there. They were going defensive player. And if neither of them were there, it seemed very likely that they had a trade that was possibly set up to jump back a few spots, allow a team to jump up to take C.J. Henderson, from what we can tell. It would have been a terrible trade on their part, given that Henderson has now been moved on from the Jaguars. may have been solid on Arizona's part, given that we didn't expect C.D. Lamb would last until pick 16, but even still, Isaiah Simmons, I think, has shown enough that you're not saying that it's a bust pick like a Robert Kandici or others that have popped up. It's just going to be one of those avenues of whatever route Arizona goes down, I think the team building is going to be an important part of that because Steve Kime likes to seem to invest in these type of one-year deals, one-year contracts, always about finding value. And the approach that they seem to have is if you can have a team that has players paid at about what their talent level is worth, they're not feeling like they're overpaid, you get guys on shorter-term deals that that way you can cut loose, cut bait. Or in the case of Robert Alford, you bring him onto the team, he gets to know the scheme, and then you keep him on these one-year vet minimum deals as long as his body holds up. Um, keeping the likes of Max Williams on a one-year deal, they're not going out trying to be able to find someone. They keep the likes of Zach Ertz as far as you know, seeing the rapport with him and Kyler. You probably found your ironic in the way to put it there. That's probably more of your Larry Fitzgerald replacement that you've had to your offense than truly replacing anything else that we've seen. Obviously, I think the difference being Fitz is still a better blocker from that position, but that's uh, it's a little bit besides the point. The way that I remember some of the past drafts going, how I could see this draft happening is a lot of Cardinals fans are going to look at Chris Olave. A lot of Cardinals fans are going to look at kind of the receiver because that's a splashy pick. And because you've been getting by with a one-year deal for A.J. Green, you knew Christian Kirk was not going to be returning to your franchise. And I think that what we're seeing is that the Cardinals want to keep that third-round pick intact for Kirk. They're going to get a compensatory pick for how much he's getting paid. We saw them miss out on that by signing A.J. Green last year for Patrick Peterson. But again, with them a fourth round pick, which is nice. I could see them avoiding signing a big name or two unless the opportunity presents itself, such as a Odell Beckham, a Jadavian Clowney, maybe even a Julio Jones on a one-year deal if they feel like his health is going to be in an A.J. Green type range of two years of injuries. He gets to bounce back this year. There's an interesting avenue, Kent, where the Cardinals may not get what they want. But we've seen in the past that I thought was really interesting is they went and took a player who was then going to sit for a year, wasn't going to make an impact, but was highly rated on their board. And then they took over at right tackle for the following season. 
and we're able to essentially be now in this case the only Cardinals player from that year as far as longest tenured draft pick I guess you could say on the Cardinals you know Marcus Golden a, a day later notwithstanding and DJ Humphreys guys were all gone in 2015 they knew they needed to get a pass rusher they didn't want to reach he fell down the board they took him he sat for a whole year you can take a look at how their roster has been constructed, at least. And with Will Hernandez visiting the team, he's a former UTEP guy, uh, worked with the Cardinals offensive line coach. You got to wonder how much of this could be a spot where we're talking about, you know, receiver, defensive line. We see the receivers go early. The Georgia guys get snapped up. You and I would probably lean offense unless the likes of a Karloftis or I would say probably our maybe favorite defensive player that's realistic for Arizona Falling to 23 and Devontae Wyatt, a guy who could immediately jump in, help be able to get penetration, stop the run, be able to have um, an interior presence that we haven't seen for Arizona that would probably fix a lot of the issues we saw last year. Just wonder if there's going to be a kind of something that comes out of left field that pops up just because of how the way this draft is set up. You may see all those talented guys fly off the board especially given the fact that you talk about pick 20. That could be a Zion Johnson pick 21. That could be a receiver pick 22 with the Packers being there now. That could be the other receiver flying off the board. And I don't see the Cardinals trading up at all for the most part. I think it'll be hard to trade back. What are some of your thoughts on what would be some, like kind of the positions or players or the thing that we're not talking about for Arizona maybe? Uh, I I think a couple of the the ones that may that may or may not come through i think oh there for me there's there's going to be a bit of a watch on a guy like derek stingley are people going to look at his last two years and go i want nothing to do with that or are they going to look at his his freshman year and go that is a guy who battled jamar chase in practice day in and day out and was winning those battles and this is a guy who was ready to play in the NFL as a freshman. Has he just got bored? Did he get too big? What happened? Um, but I also think there's a team picking two spots ahead of us with a head coach who has got decent connections into some of those college coaches. He's going to find out a lot of information around Derek Stingley. And if, if Derek Stingley is there at 21 for New England, I don't think he gets there. But again, it's it's... It's hearsay. He, prob- he probably goes in the top 15 anyway. Um, Jameson Williams, how teams look at that knee, how far down the board people look at him because they're only going to get half a rookie season out of him. Um, I look at Jeffrey Simmons, ended up going right at the back end of the first mm. round. Right. Um, off, off his late season knee injury, that's a possibility. And, and do you go for a guy who many think could be the best receiver in this class, um, particularly with that legitimate vertical speed. I I just, I don't see at that spot too many, too many people who are really going to sit there and go, yeah, that's a real surprise that he's there. Tyler Linderbaum maybe, but you know, where do you where do you play him? Where do you throw him into the offensive line? You're probably better off looking at a at a, a Kenyon Green or a Zion Johnson if they're around. If you're looking at a, at the interior of the offensive line, so I think I, th- I think the depth in that area is really 
wide receiver edge and corner and and that's well not even really corner but wide receiver and edge and that's where Arizona needs players and I think that's sort of the this the spot that I'm really zeroing in on yeah it'll be something I think at least of just like you said adding players adding talent will be something that is I think huge for Arizona one thing that's really interesting to me at least I think I got my screen I'm sharing with you for the most part is one of the options that I felt like was there for Arizona that I was looking at was Kenyon Green. Unless there's some other extra injury thing that's going on, I feel like that he's off the board for me for Arizona because Steve Kime, the focus on athleticism, I, I don't know if they have specific traits that they have as far as for thresholds that you have to hit, but when you're talking about the way that their offensive line has been created, they get guards that pull out in space. That's something that we've seen that's huge for them. It's something Justin Pugh did the last few years. And just with the low shuttle, this is where kind of the combine can come into effect of, you know, verifying what you've seen on tape. He's been, I think, a specific power scheme guy that is just not really going to have the athleticism to kind of move around or something in space as much. Whereas the likes of his Ion Johnson, when you see his testing, he's probably the one of the closest testers we've seen. Um, not quite on the level of the fantastic Colts guard Quentin Nelson, but when you're talking about you know, what about the likes of an Ali Marpet who just retired, talking about other players at least who have been these kind of more uh, athletic guys. I think that's one of the spots at least that is a big of a better fit. That's what makes it tough, Kent, is that the offensive line is probably the least uh, deep in a lot of different ways of the classes this year. We've seen that there's, you know, a lot of tackles that are going to be going probably in the top 10 to top 15 who... Somebody shift into guards later because that's just what the NFL does. They'll draft a tackle, try him out, and then bump him inside. There's a lot of receivers that will go. I don't think I see a cornerback. Maybe if the best player like that pops up there. We know the Cardinals, they like Florida corners who are fit. Trent McDuffie is a guy who I think at least will be the second corner off the board, following the likes of Sauce Gardner, who is a big cornerback that tested well. There's a little bit as far as with how it goes for the Cardinals' identity, I think that could see a Tyler Linderbaum be one of the best players who's there. But like you said, do you play a guy who maybe is not a, quite of a right guard at right guard? Do you sit him for a year behind Rodney Hudson? I saw someone who said you try to trade Rodney Hudson to a different team, and that would be a tough contract for someone to take on when, you know, then you're essentially having very little leverage for the most part. It just doesn't seem like it makes sense. One player that I do agree with you there that I feel like would be a great spot for Arizona that maybe would say, maybe it's not a home run now, but could be later, is that Jamison Williams receiver. Uh, he just has a very different level of speed as far as for with deep speed and separation. You think of the Hollywood Brown years in Oklahoma, being able to have that elite deep threat that matches Kyler Murray's arm placement. And we've not really seen the Cardinals have a deep threat of that level. We've seen how... With Christian Kirk, he's more of a 4-4 guy who was able to get separation on these long routes, partially because Kyler was able to place balls so perfectly on him that you could just get one step if you're Kirk and you're good to go there. If they took Williams, like he may not be the best blocker, but that's that's a whole other type of thing. Suddenly you've got an intriguing offense of having the short yardage, yards after catch guy in Rondale who still has field stretching speed. You have the intermediate and still deep threat type of player in DeAndre Hopkins. And could you bring back A.J. Green for a one-year deal and then transition to Jamison Williams knowing that you can play them both out of the slot, play a little bit inside. You'd have a 
Uh, interesting case also with him being 6'1". He's shown some jump ball ability, not the same level of A.J. Green. But it's just an, it be an interesting level of build of kind of embracing speed for the Arizona Cardinals, whereas previously what we've seen with the shorter quarterback and Kyler Murray, they've embraced size. So I would be on board for that pick just because I feel like that would open up so many different things for your offense. Like Zach Ertz would probably never get double covered because of that type of speed threat. And he couldn't really deal with, you know, the separation is going to start to peter off, I think, over the next couple of years that he's been getting. is He's already lost some of that. But it'll be interesting to know if he doesn't go to Green Bay like one pick earlier. Do the Patriots take a player like that specifically because they know that they've got a talented enough team? There's a lot that goes into some of those places, and how much pressure is on the Cardinals to win now in this season is one of the things that we really don't know. We can assume Michael Bidwell is going to probably give at least two years to see if this whole thing goes kaput, but again, you're not really sure what the onus is going to be for Arizona as they are trying to retool this team. But anyway, long story short, just as I keep rambling on, I do kind of agree with you that if there's a player that kind of feels like he might be a little bit of a value or a steal there, if it's Karloftis who falls, that would be kind of my pick. But Jamison Williams would probably be that other guy, specifically because you have seen how he can probably be more of a top-notch number two and with the speed that he has, especially on the deep areas. We've seen that on tape. We hope that Rondell Moore can do it, but it just has not been something that he's done so far. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of projection in, in a lot of those spots, and it's really going to be about putting together the right combination of players and the right combination of roles that's going to allow the offense to shine and a receiver that takes the top off a defense that forces teams to sit too deep um, that opens up space underneath for a DeAndre Hopkins or a Zach Ertz running shallower routes is always going to be of great value to a team I think you know you can probably also get that in a Christian Watson, maybe even round two, possibly round three. A guy like Alec Pierce is out of Cincinnati is another one that really flies, can get him behind guys. Um, so I, th- I think the size, speed, combination at outside receiver and on the flip side at outside corner is something that Arizona is really going to need to look at. I've, the wide receiver room, it's really going to depend on what they do, what they do over the next few weeks, and then what's available, what's on the board, who's there. I, I, I see Chris Olave can very much be a Terry McLaurin type player where you just you just see a guy running wide open and you sit there and you go, well, how? And you go back and and he's just turned the, turned the DB around two or three times in three steps and has taken off into space and that's incredibly valuable in the NFL as well because you, if you've got a guy who can win their one-on-one battles and coverage really, really quickly and really easily, Kyler Murray's the type of guy who can get the ball there on time, the right location, to turn those into big plays. So there's a few names there at receiver that, are, that, ex, that excite me. Um, and, and hopefully we can get someone that really can deliver something big for big for Kyler to, to shine out and, and what's his going to be his fourth season in the NFL. Yeah, it's like watching Butter when you're watching Olave, and it feels like he's one of those guys who's not necessarily ever going to be a true number one for a team. 
Um, you can say that there's an argument to be made about each of those other guys, or maybe having number one level of impact if you're Jamison Williams looking at now, some of these speed guys of a T.Y. Hilton was able to be a wide receiver one for the Colts for a number of years with Andrew Luck. Um, he's a guy who's a, so buttery smooth. That would be one of the possibilities that's there. But like you said, with McLaurin, it uh, feels like teams have learned a little bit from some of those places as far as just being able to recognize. But that's the one player I do agree with you that would have an option to be there. Um it would be nice to see Drake London, who kind of would be essentially like a second type of A.J. Green, or at the very least, you can see the T. Higgins impact that's been made of a number two guy who can essentially, you know, go off for 88 yards and two touchdowns in a game if need be. Um, I think that it's one of the avenues of if the Cardinals don't, let's say the Cardinals go offensive line and edge rush in this class, there's maybe two or three round three guys who are there. Like you mentioned Alec Pierce. He feels like he's a guy who, because of that speed and testing, goes a bit early there's maybe another level you could find but it just it feels like you're probably going to be in that spot of figuring out what's DeAndre Hopkins status for 2023 to do probably another extension or at least a roster bonus we've seen these wide receivers who when they hit 30 years old they want to get paid like the best receiver in the business and teams have just shipped them out for more picks because they'll let someone else take on that contract for one or two years before they see the body turned into more of the Julio Jones or the AJ Green type so That'll be something interesting to watch with Green, uh, with I should say Hopkins uh, coming off of injury for sure. Uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, the biggest thing I know at least we can talk about are some of these edge rushers. I think you can maybe argue that the Cardinals don't need a running back. I feel like you could probably take one in round three if you wanted to for the most part. We haven't even talked about, you know, if there's any other positions that could fall around three that they'd be looking for. Because at that point, you're kind of talking about these are the top talents. They're still in the top 120 picks that most teams build a 120 board around. Um, we've seen in the past the Cardinals have kind of hit some home runs in round three, either taking on a player who fell for one reason or another due to some off-field, taking on some players who were small school guys that ended up uh, blossoming and had some production for a number of years. And then we've also seen some complete whiffs. We've seen them take on a receiver in round three. Um, who I believe the only stat, if I remember correctly, is that they caught um, Josh Rosen's um, first touchdown pass, at least for the most part, and Chad Williams. And that's, you know, both of them have been out of the league, essentially, and outside of, well, Rosen, but outside of starting in the league, I should say. And taking the likes of a Brandon Williams, who is just freak athlete, did not go super well for him. You can kind of see the Cardinals having that kind of area that they're looking for for some of those days. You see what seems to be a hit in a Marco Wilson turned into a miss for the likes of a you know, Brandon Williams. Um, what do you see as far as for looking at some of these edge rushers that are going to be there for Arizona and then maybe some of the late talent as we wrap up? Because it really feels like you're not going to see the Hutchinson, Thibodeau, the Trayvon Walkers. You could even see a George Karloftis, I think, and a Jermaine Johnson gone in the top 15 or 16 picks. Like There's some teams with multiple picks that could stack up. Um, even with the injury to David Ajabo, at least, it seems like that his stock was probably somewhere in that, you know, 25 to 45 type of range anyway. What do you feel like as far as for Arizona with when it comes to their pass rush? Because I think this is a blitzing team that we've seen could get by as long as they have the bare minimum of being able to manufacture pressure. It's just not going to be on a competitive landscape, and it would be really, I think, frustrating for a lot of Cardinals fans if you go out and are investing in the offense and you look to the defensive side 
and we're looking at Vance Joseph's defense suddenly reverting to these 2019 type of levels <laughs> and questions still about you know the cornerback uh, the uh, not not just the cornerbacks that they have but some of those linebackers as well with them not being able to either pressure the quarterback with struggling to get pressure or uh, I should say on running backs against the run th- there's a lot that I think pops up there but it still is a passing league, and with Chandler Jones leaving, there's just at least, I still think, a huge cutoff from Chandler Jones to the likes of a Devon Kennard as far as when it comes to rushing the passer. And that's why Edge is something a lot of Cardinals fans are looking at here. Yeah, I, th- I think probably the name that is most likely to be showing up for Arizona at the back end of the first round on the edge is a guy like if I say the name correctly, Arnold Ibakiti. Ibakiti. Mm-hmm. It's probably a little bit high from a prospect ranking perspective to take him at 23. But it's you, you see those premier players and premier positions uh, are going to to go higher than you expect. And the players who the league view as playing in replacement level positions are going to go lower. And I think part of that, the reason Arizona's ended up with multiple inside linebackers is the league views that position a little bit lower than what Arizona might view that position. And Arizona is seeing guys that they rank very highly as value on their board falling to their pick to a point where they cannot pass on them. So hopefully there's there's a guy if if he shows up on the board it's someone they look at um but uh, unless unless Coloftus falls or or they want to roll the dice on a jabo i i don't see edge really being that that much in the conversation it's it's sort of it feels like we've sort of really zeroed in and locked in on on receiver at that number 23 slot but who knows? You might have seven receivers taken before you get to Arizona's pick and you're going, well, do we want to take wide receiver eight at 23 or do we want to take whatever that might be, cornerback five? It might be uh, might be defensive tackle two, you know, Devontae Wyatt in that role. It could be, it could even be a defensive tackle three with um, the kid, couple of the Yukon guy and the Houston guy that I, cannot remember names at the moment but there's there's a couple of guys in those sort of roles it's it seems like it's very much going to be zeroed in on receiver at 23 and and if it doesn't fall the way Arizona wants it to fall it's going to be a really interesting time slot to be watching how they're reacting in that space in terms of later rounds I think you you look through through history. Arizona's tended to stack a lot of offensive and defensive linemen through the through the mid and late rounds of a draft. At the back end of of the draft, Arizona is stacked this year. They've got about five or six picks in the last probably eighty selections, and I think that's probably going to be is going to be a lot of phone calls being made to. To this is a guy we want to sign in, in priority free agency after the draft, but if he doesn't want to come here, we're going to have to spend a pick to get him here. So you're throwing a lot of that around, and it was mentioned earlier that there's a lot of depth in this year's draft, and part of that has to do with 
the lack of depth in last year's draft because of how people, because of COVID and coming back to college again and, and choosing to have another year at that level, there's round three. It's it's really tough to try and to try and pig where you want players to fall. Running back is going to be an option there, depending on how the team views Warden Benjamin. Um, but it, but I think it's it's very much you're going to get into those those second and third rounds and and into the into the later rounds and I think that's probably where you see Arizona leaning possibly corner possibly an edge guy you got a guy like Nick Benito in round two could be really really nice coming off the edge as as a as as an undersized pass rusher um, it's it's really going to be you can find a starter in those in those rounds this year and and it's going to be driven by the type of value that you can see in those positions yeah i know you mentioned at least the running back spot but i think that makes a lot of sense in round three um the only exception i feel like is if for whatever reason teams pass on running back because there's just not a lot of teams that need a running back necessarily. Um, there's maybe a Buffalo could probably upgrade a bit. Um, there's other teams that maybe could say that they could use a start or not, but almost every team, even Arizona, has a running back that they've committed to at least for two years on their contract. Now, Arizona's a bit of an exception there because it was a free agent signing and it's about $7 million a year, and you can probably get out of the contract next season if you wanted to if you're Arizona. Um, so unless a Brees Hall is sitting there at 55, you're probably going to be out on him and Kenneth Walker. There's also going to be a plethora of people looking at the Dolphins that now have had a different area. The one thing that's interesting is, like I was going to say, you're putting together your list of those guys. You mentioned Logan Hall, the guy who's out of Houston, who I think makes a lot of sense for a defensive lineman if he's there at 55. It's just it's not a it's a very top heavy, I should say, defensive line class for the most part. I tried to run a mock draft that was like, what would be kind of like your worst case scenario for Arizona? Like, let's take all of the Georgia players, all the wide receivers, take like your, you know, best offensive lineman off the board, even looking at some of those like number one cornerbacks that you think could fall, plug at least one quarterback in there. I, I don't want to be unrealistic and say no quarterback goes before 23, because then you might be able to, you know, see about trading back if you're Arizona, if you feel like that someone's going to be looking to move up to that spot. Um, so that would be kind of your worst case scenario. And I kind of kept coming back around to this idea of maybe a little bit of a reach, but not too much of a Travis Jones out of Connecticut, a defensive lineman. It fills at least a gap or a need. You're not really seeing that value on the offensive line. And you're knowing that you can probably get a receiver who's going to be there for the most part at 55. Because I just feel like that the value of a Christian Watson or a player like that is to probably get them in that second round versus, or like, you know, as you said, getting that Chris Olave at 23. It's when you're going to be taking these guys early enough to the point of where your expectations are unrealistic. Like a, a good thing, you know, say take Christian Watson at pick 23, and he takes two years to kind of start developing in the NFL, or you get him into camp and you realize, oh, we just we just went down the Hakeem Butler route for the most part, at least with everything. That's This is probably a back, back of the second round type of guy that, we took a pick 23 because he just broke all of these different records in the athleticism department. That's one of the spots I think at least where you want the Cardinals to evaluate well, but it still comes back to team building because, you know, if you take a defensive tackle this year, you go and grab say a running back second round, 
you know, we're going to be going into the next year talking about who's going to be that wide receiver two, who's going to be, you know, these guys that plug into the offensive line. It's going to be even conversations to still continue with Kyler Murray because even having these long contracts is seemingly no guarantee for a quarterback remaining with a team anymore. Um, it'll just be something that's interesting to be able to see, especially as we get closer to the NFL draft. Um, right now we're in the midst of teams kind of having stock going up and down a lot of this kind of lying season over the next probably, I would say, three weeks. We'll see that settle down and then getting into the last week before the draft. Um, we'll get into, hopefully, the Peter Schrager mock draft that you and I have talked about of seeing what they've told him about what Arizona's looking for and see what this team's identity may be, especially as right now it just feels like that their identity is kind of keeping stuff the same and trying to hold on and not necessarily overcommitting in some ways like they did last season. Yep. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun watch. It will be a fun mm-hmm. watch. Um, absolutely uh, thanks again at least to ej snyder for joining us today uh you can at least again follow him on twitter that's going to be and i want to make sure i get this exactly right here it'll be at the draftsman fb uh you can also stand on the bootleg football podcast um be able to go ahead they have bears over beers which is one of the most fun kind of podcast titles i think that's out there for the most part uh, you can follow me at Blake Murphy Seven on Twitter again. Kent, where can the ROTB listeners uh, Kent follow you? Kent underscore Hotter on Twitter. Uh, you can awesome. Thanks again, and make sure you're following us at ROTB Pod as well as at Revenge of the Birds. I'm going to be out of town uh, for the upcoming NFL draft, so it'll be interesting. Kent and I will talk a little bit probably about just how we're going to uh, be able to have some of the draft coverage. Maybe it'll wait a couple days afterwards. Maybe we'll just record some things on our own, patch it together. Uh, We'll figure out some of that for the most part, but we'll be here throughout the draft and the Cardinals offseason to cover here on Revenge of the Birds. Thanks again for joining in.